0: I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Joshua, chapter 9. I waited so long to come up with a title for this sermon. The moment passed me by, and you ended up with an old title. I think I've come up with one, though, Cunning Lies and Rash Vows, subtitled, We Won't Get Fooled Again. That may or may not resonate with you if you're fans of... Classic rock, I don't know. In Joshua chapter 9, we find Israel getting fooled by a group of conniving, cunning heathens. And what, it le- what, what led to that um, trickery and what the result of it was. And there's going to be two simple lessons that we're going to take from it uh, that I hope we do not miss. Uh, Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusites heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua in Israel with one accord. Now that's one way of dealing with the problem, if you consider Israel a problem, is to go to war. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy, And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them... We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new. And see, they are torn. And these, our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Now, listen. Listen. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were the neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shepharah, Baroth, and But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because... "...of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God." So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he, that's Joshua, did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of God's word. Lord, we come to you and we ask as we open texts like these that we would be wise and seeking to understand what you would have for us today. Your covenant community, centuries removed, and yet we are still called to walk in wisdom, to not be duped by the craftiness of this world, but to consult your will, your word, in all things. Help us then, Lord, to sit at your feet tonight and learn the way of righteousness, we pray in your name. Amen. It took a minute when I opened Joshua and I and I thought, All right, I don't know what the point of this is. Uh, if you ever come to that conclusion as you're reading through the scriptures, I have an encouragement to you, read it again. And if it still isn't clear, go ahead and read it again. And if you're struggling the third time, I would encourage you to read it again. And if you need help, go get help. Calvin is indispensable with his wit and blunt nature. Uh, The beauty of old-school commentators prior to the rise of the PC culture in the West is that they will say things then that many commentators are afraid to say now. I love that. And they may not always be right, which is why it helps if you're going to look into commentaries, that you take information from many of them. No one man is right all the time. But as we open Joshua 9, what I want us to see is that peace with God as the world is concerned And peace with men, as the church is concerned, that is, peace moving in two different directions, cannot be achieved through mere human means. The kingdom of Christ will not prevail through unholy and ill-advised peace treaties, and peace with God by wicked men, or whomever they devise to be God, cannot be made through human cunning. In fact, what we find in Joshua chapter 9 is folly working in two different ways. The first is a cursed sort of cunning. In fact, that's the first point. The second is what I would call a rash vow. And what we find Israel learning and the Gibeonites learning are complementary lessons. Cunning does not work when it comes to the kingdom of Christ marching throughout all the earth. You cannot trick your way, beg, borrow, and steal yourselves into the good graces of God. This is a lesson that the heathen learns over and over and over again through the scriptures. They learned it at Babel. Egypt learned it. Gibeon learns it. On the other side of that, self-reliance, that is working in pride, not seeking the face of God, when the world comes to you and cries peace... If you do not know what the will of God is, or do not understand the proper way in which peace is made, you will end up compromised. And you will have people hauling wood and water that you wished you would never hired. Let's look at these two points. Cursed cunning and rash vows. Cursed cunning and rash vows. First point, cursed cunning. Now, as we look at this text, we see a lot in the first three verses. The first two verses are there are a group of tribes that are going to war with Israel. That is one way in which the wicked seek to thwart the mission of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here expressed as the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel. As they're moving into the land, a group of tribes say, let's get together to fight against them. But then you have the Gibeonites, and they were a region, they represented a number of cities, and they say the way in which we will survive is by tricking Israel. Now this trickery is another form of combat. It is an insidious treachery. And the world really responds to the church in these two ways. They seek to overthrow the church by might, or they seek to undermine the church through trickery, COVID mandates. Sorry. I just slipped out. Public safety bureaus. Anything that will scare people into thinking, if we don't do this, we won't survive. And so what the Gibeonites endeavor to do is to trick Israel so that they might be spared. They won't have to fight. This is the Gibeonite scheme, and we find it in verses 3 through 13. The beginning section, the Gibeonites here, and look at verse 4. They worked craftily. This is where the, the music that makes you that sort of unsettling music plays in the background. Here they are scheming. And what they do is they dress up as though they have traveled a long way to meet the Israelites. Why? Because they heard. They heard that Israel is marching through the land. And if they do not do something, Israel will march over them. They will conquer the cities because God has given them a very clear directive in the book of Deuteronomy... To wipe out all of the tribes in the land. In the land of Canaan. That was theirs given to them by God. Now, what we must do is we must, as we look at the old covenant people of God, or the Old Testament people of God, and the New Testament people of God, is interact with the way in which God revealed himself to them and to us. So when your session is endeavoring, to pave a parking lot we do not bring in the priests and use the urim and the thuman and cast lots to decide which paver to go with we don't do it that way we get quotes and we endeavor to make the wisest decision possible in the old testament if israel was endeavoring to do something, certainly something that was commanded by God, and to walk in the way of wisdom, they would look for direct intervention, oftentimes. And the priests would come and they would cast lots in order to lead Israel in the way that they should go, by the commands of God. And so what we have in these opening verses is a kind of setup, a narrative setup. There is war. There is this nation that is endeavoring to scheme. What will Israel do? Will they be fooled? We, the reader, knows what is happening. The narrator is giving us insight into the minds of the Gibeonites, and they are not good faith actors. They are bad faith actors. Now, some compare Gibeon to Rahab. And there is some comparison that does need to be drawn, or contrast, rather. When the spies go into Jericho, Rahab does not act out of fear and cunning. She acts by confessing and showing her devotion to Israel, by saving the lives of the spies. And she confesses, as far as we are able to understand, A holy fear and reverence of the God of Israel. Later on, of course, we are made very certain that she was a good faith actor. But she and Gibeon, not the same. From the beginning, the narrator wants us to understand that they worked craftily. This was unrighteous scheming. For what reason? So that they might be delivered. Children, let me give you a very personal equivalent. Mom or dad comes to you and they see something amiss. Something has been done. And they come to you and say, Did you do this? And you think, Oh, I know what I can do. No. And you come up with this elaborate description of some other story than the one that actually happened. And your parents look at you and go, really? It's interesting. We're going to need to get some fingerprints and see if those fingerprints match those fingerprints. They're going to go through the process whereby they might discern the truth. But the whole, as we're focusing on you kids, right, the whole point of deception and the craftiness is to do what? To keep yourself from having to feel the pain of parental judgment, whatever pain that form that may come in. The Gibeonite scheme is not unlike that. They would beg, borrow, and steal. They would do whatever it takes. They would lie. And there is a lot of lying that is happening here because they knew that Israel was favored by God or the gods. Think about how the Gibeonites are thinking. This is a powerful nation. And they think like the world. In order to have peace... And we can't beat them in open combat. We must trick them. This is the way the ungodly endeavor to live under the righteous judgment of God that every man knows exists. Romans chapter 1. This is the way the ungodly suppress and exchange the truth of God for a lie. It is this instinct of unrighteous self-preservation. And though it leads to a truce, it does not lead to salvation. It actually leads to enslavement. This cursed cunning is not the way to enter into the covenant mercies of God. And so what the Gibeonites are are a lesson in how the world seeks to make peace with God but fail. You can't do it this way. Well, what is the complementary example? Well, we find Israel making a rash vow. When the Gibeonites come to them, the Israelites ask them those preliminary questions. Where are you from? And they say, we're from a long way off. See all the evidence? Our moldy bread? Our dried wineskins? Look how dirty we are. They lied to them. And after those questions, we look at verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Now let's go back. As Israel is endeavoring to march through the land in righteousness, it was incumbent upon them to seek the face of the Lord as to how they should walk live, wage war, what was good, what was evil. They did not do this here. Was it pride? We don't know. We don't know what the impulse was. Why Israel... Listen, how often does this happen? There are two decisions, this one or this one. How infrequently do we consult the wisdom of God's revelation? Now, what we may say is this, Lord, I prayed about it. And the Lord will say, did you open my word? I looked to the clouds, and it was in the form of a Honda, not a Toyota. And so I bought the Honda. This is how we often act as though God will somehow drop into our lap a very clear confirmation. Now, this is true at certain times in the Old Testament, but we do know this, all manners of life and godliness are spoken of exhaustively in the word of God. His revelation should be our guide. And so whenever there is a question as it relates to wisdom, what are we to do? The first place where we ought to go is the word of God that is laid down for the church in every age. Israel failed to consult The one who could tell them what to do. Now, this is frustrating to us. Because didn't Israel just learn a lesson? And now they got to learn another lesson. And as you move through the book of Joshua, you learn something about ministry in the church and just human nature. Not only as we read a story, because the desire is to only have two types of actions from both camps. We want the wicked people to have the black cap on and they always do things that are abundantly clearly evil. You know, the mustache twirling sort of fellow. And we want the guy in the white hat to never be fooled. But the most effective tactics of the devil and of the world to mitigate the movement and the righteousness and the coming of the kingdom of God to earth is not all-out warfare. It's what? It is through insidious trickery, those sorts of tactics. And the question for us is, will we be fooled by it? I can't imagine that Israel was always wanting to go to war. If there's somebody that says, hey, 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 We don't want to go to war with you guys. Okay. But the fundamental mistake was that they failed to consult. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. And so what did they do? They made a rash vow. They did not consult with the Lord. They sought to make decisions apart from the directives that God said he would give them. And so they were tricked. And then when they realized it, and they went to the cities, they realized not only were they close, but now that they've made a covenant and entered into this vow, it would be wicked to go back on it. Rash vows are a problem. In fact, our confession speaks to avoiding such vows. Children, this means don't say, I promise all the time, especially when you're really good at promising things and not delivering upon them. Parents too. Vows are serious. But they vowed improperly. They vowed foolishly. They vowed disobediently. And had they sought the face of the Lord, they could have avoided this very problem. And so now they're in this conflict. And so what must they do? Well, they cannot be part of Israel. Because the Gibeonites have no intention of worshiping and serving the God of Israel. They're not there because they want to be worshipers. They're there to save their hides. And so what does Joshua say? Well, we won't kill you, but you will be our slaves forever. Now, this is not salvation. This covenant that Joshua made with Gibeon was not a covenant that God made with Gibeon to make them Israelites. The lesson that we learn from that is this. That what the world needs as it relates to covenant with God is not a covenant that the world is willing to make. They just want to survive. But the covenant that the church should enforce upon the world is a covenant that requires them to enter into the terms as God has defined. Let me give you another example. You have a session who has been charged by God to maintain right order and membership in the church. And when we look at the visible church, you're either in it or out of it. There's no one halfway in, halfway out. And the means by which you enter into the visible church is by profession if you're an adult or by baptism if you're a child. But everyone that is a member of the visible church is joined to her under the name and banner of Christ Jesus. And so, for instance, let's say someone is visiting and they come to Reformation and they have Let's say nefarious intent. The session has been given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to suss out what that may be. And let's say this session begins to interview such a person and they ask them questions related to biblical knowledge and understanding who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And is he your Lord? And let's say that person says yes, yes, yes to all of those questions. Then what the session has done is rightly parse, is rightly um, work as those given as sheepdogs, if you will, of the sheep, as guardians of the visible church to make sure that the wrong ones are not allowed in. Wolves. In fact, I know of a case right now. In a church where someone has come into the church, has joined the church, but has begun to espouse among the ranks of believers Unitarian theology. He's a Gibeonite. (laughs) If the church just wanted to make it easy, they could say, listen, just don't teach what you're teaching. Just be quiet. What should they do? What ought they do? Get out of here. If you will not make peace with God on God's terms, you cannot be a member of this visible church. And so one of the applications for the church today is one of the ways in which Satan seeks to diminish and attack the testimony, the purity, and the peace of the church is by bringing in those who would undermine the covenant community, the peace and purity of it, through trickery and treachery. Or by those in power elsewhere seeking to diminish the peace and purity of the church by offering her bribes in lieu of open conflict. Which is why I did the whole under-my-breath thing. And we need to know the plot because it isn't just man against man, orthodoxy versus unorthodoxy. It is Christ versus Satan and the powers of good and evil in spiritual heavenly realms. And here we are on earth endeavoring for the sake of Christ to bring about the fulfillment of his kingdom. And there will come at times open conflict and war. And then there will come times where Satan endeavors to creep in and compromise the mission and work of the church by promising or offering a treaty that we ought not to take. And so what do you have? At the end of Joshua 9, you have a compromised covenant community and a people who endeavored to have peace with Israel and they ended up as slaves. Neither side got what they wanted because Christ was not consulted. The word of God was not opened because he was not brought into the councils of Israel and, of course, by Gibeon. So you cannot have peace with a world that does not wish to repent. You cannot get peace with God through cunning and guile. To Gibeon, the call is repentance and faith. To Israel, the call is to walk under God's wise hand. This is how we are able to prevent such problems. Cursed cunning and rash vows. So what is the clear call? To seek God's will in all things first by endeavoring to enter into the counsel that he has revealed to us in his word. Let's pray.